Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And we're grateful that you're sharing part of your evening with us. We are here every Thursday night at 8 p.m. to talk candidly about the legacy uh, of Joseph Smith's polygamy. First of all, we need to say that tonight's show has been pre-recorded. Our shows normally, of course, are live so that we can take uh, half of the time to open up our to- phone calls and let our viewers participate in our conversation. Uh, But due to time restrictions of our guest and, of course, timeliness of the topic of our discussion, uh, we pre-recorded this show, which, of course, means that we won't be taking phone calls tonight. And tonight's guest is Kristen Decker. She's been on our show several times in the past, and we always have a great discussion about her life in polygamy. She's from the All Red Polygamy Group, also known as the AUB, um, which means the Apostolic United Brethren. She has written a book entitled 50 Years in Polygamy, Big Secrets and Little White Lies. We interviewed her about that book on our show of November 1st, Uh, 2012, which was just a little over a year ago, and we discussed highlights of her life growing up in uh, a polygamy group as written in her book. Tonight we have another book to discuss, plus activities that she's involved in to help bring the truths of polygamy out in the open. So I'd like to introduce and welcome back to our show tonight, Kristen Decker. Thank you, Kristen, Thanks. for coming again. Thank you for inviting me back. <laughs> and you always have an here. open invitation to come. It's Thanks. always a great time to okay. talk and, and discuss things, whether it's on a pre-recorded or a live show. Good. I appreciate that. Now, Thank tonight you. we're going to be uh, talking about the differences, among other things, in your old book that we talked about, which still isn't very old, really, right. and your new book that we're going to discuss, too. But we also want to talk about some of the other things that you are involved in, uh, in to, uh, as we place, uh, face the polygamy problems of the culture that just seems to go, be ongoing and seems to be mushrooming right. sometimes. Right. <laughs> um, so the great thing about about talking with you about these things is that you don't just complain about what happened. You're doing something about it. You're actually getting involved and doing something and helping others know what they can do about it, which is... I'm trying to. I feel like I am not getting done what I want to do, of course. (laughs) Yeah, of course, there's too much to do. uh, I'd say my biggest frustration is that, and I remember this, and I'm sure you do too, that when people left, the groups. When someone left, there were all these lies told about them. Mm-hmm. And so people on the inside, I, I, bu- I bought it. I believed yeah. those lies yeah. that were told about people. I didn't want to because I thought, oh, they were such great people. They were so nice. They were, But then around me would be all these stories about why they left and the made up things. And because they can't leave and be good. Mm-hmm. So I have to put myself back in those shoes off and remember that when people are afraid of me that are in the group or that want to leave, 
I was there. I was one, like, oh, they were bad. They did this and they did that and all those rumors. Mm -hmm. They believe and buy about me right, and exactly. that I'm evil and have an apostate and going to hell and the daughter of perdition. And no, that's right. And so they say you can't be happy and that you're going to be a druggie or you're going to be a whore oh, or something yeah, like that, they yeah. say. In fact, it, it's at one time during the Kingston group, uh, when people would leave, they would say, oh, they've fallen off the deep end. They Definitely. Left. When yeah. really everyone I've talked to, they've always said, I'm happier now than I've ever been. <laughs> yeah, dark so. and ugly and turning turned over to the buffetings of Satan. Mm -hmm. That was one of the mm -hmm. common ones. That's a biggie. So in trying to help a lot, I, I come across that people that are afraid of me or don't want to talk to me or think I have gone to hell. Mm -hmm. They want to leave, but stay away from them and stay avoid them. Her. I know Dr. Fisher's dealt with that. He was considered one of the most evil men in the world. Yeah. And Carolyn Jessup yeah. was when mm -hmm. she left. And now me and maybe even Dorothy Solomon when she left and wrote her book. Sure. So those of mm -hmm. us that speak out are considered by far worse than somebody who just quietly leaves and right. lives their own life and disappears. Right. And yeah, and, so and, and, and what I find sad, uh, you just said that brought to my mind, I find so sad that people who leave one particular person I talked to and I asked him if he'd be interested in telling the story on the show. No, he didn't. He'd had a bad time in the group, but he wasn't interested in telling. He says, I believe in live and let live. Mm -hmm. Well, he'd had a horrible life, abuse and lies and, and violence, you know. And yet, it's okay for them to continue to do that to other people, live and let live. That's not, right. that's kind of scary attitude, I think. I understand that. But there's that fear, I do too. Because of the fear, and you lose your family, and mm -hmm. they don't want to speak to you when you speak out. Oh, and it it's took more me of years. A, it's, yeah, and especially for those who have children or grandchildren still left, mm -hmm. and I, my heart goes out to them because many of them would like to stand up and speak out and say things that they don't dare say. But if they do, they'll lose that contact lose it. Mm -hmm. with friends and family and especially grandchildren. And that's I understand how important they are to me and that's a sure. difficult choice. It is. It's a hot, very, mm. very difficult yes. choice. I fully understand that too. I understand exactly mm -hmm. what you're saying. So you, you're the founder and the director of an organization called Sound Choices Coalition. Uh, would you explain to our viewers what Sound Choices is all about, what it stands for, uh, why it exists, and what it has accomplished so far? Years and years ago, and, and I would guess about eight to ten years ago, a group of pro-polygamous people wrote a book, Principal Voices, uh -huh. and a bunch of women talked about why they believed in the principle. And I, I got the book out and I started reading it and I went, well, of course they believe in it because that's what they were taught all their lives. That's pretty much all the stories were to me why they wanted to do it, because they were pleasing God, or they believed they were. Right. And later on in life, I thought, as time was going on, and I was really realizing, as I was speaking about my book, the more and more and more atrocities that were happening and still going on, that somebody needed to speak out in the opposite. Someone needed to say, this is not what the principal voices are trying to say, that it's all co copacetic and we're all great and nothing's going wrong and we're all, you know, perfect people and leave them alone and just cover-ups, cover-ups, cover-ups. So, mm -hmm. And it got more when it was involved with media and it, people were starting to talk about decriminalizing polygamy. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, oh my word, this is these things have gone on 50, 60 years now, covered up, blinded. People have shut their eyes. The law have turned their backs on a lot of abuses and things that have been happening. Someone needs to stand up, speak out, and say this is not okay. Yeah. Besides those who'd done it before and tried to before and didn't, and it didn't work right. 10, 8, 10 years ago. Right. So I looked, I thought, uh, we need to gather people who are brave enough to speak out and talk about this. And 
mostly it's about education and trying to educate people and write notes to the media and stand up in court for someone who needs people to be there for them or whatever the case may be. And I thought about what, what could be the title of a coalition that would be a represent and it would be opposite of the principal voices yeah. or mm -hmm. they changed it to, I think, something choices too but I can't remember what it is they've changed it to recently, but the thing I did is I looked in the book under the word sound, and then in the dictionary, the, there's probably this many words and definitions of what sound means, and if you really, I mean sound, <laughs> solid, yeah. educated, sound, and then choice is the same way. Uh -huh. Choice is, was this long, and I thought, boy, does that ever say if somebody even just thinks about the word sound, choice is not, uh -huh. even the word sound, but um, yeah, that's what it yeah. is, a coalition of people who want to stand up for human rights and against human rights violations and especially toward women and children. We've got many other groups that are with us, uh, many other coalitions or gatherings that have joined who also stand for the same reason, mm -hmm. that we don't want to have polygamy that takes people's rights and choices away from okay. them. Okay, so what if, if some of our viewers are interested in getting involved in your group and with mm -hmm. you, what would be the contact information? How could they find out more information? It's um, sound-choicescoalition at gmail.com. Oh, excuse me, I'm getting it mixed up with the oh. sound. Just have okay. them soundchoicescoalition. Okay at gmail.com okay and we have across sound we have choices it there coalition on the, on the screen That's and it. and the facebook mm -hmm. also page very good thank you okay mm -hmm. um and so if anyone is interested in getting more knowing more about you or the organization they can go there and contact you from yes. from that are there any recent events that sound choices has been involved with concerning polygamy that they've had to stand up for what we've been trying to do is find out where and why and what's happening with the decision, the judge's decision, Judge Wadoop's decision on decriminalizing polygamy. We haven't got responses and we're moving toward the end of the year and we understood that it was supposed to have happened, a decision was to be made mm -hmm. by the end of the year. It might be that he has another 14 days or so in January to do that. Mm. I haven't heard back and I'm not sure what's going to happen there, but we want, we're want we in the midst of preparing statements and po getting ready to send out things to the public, to the um, media sources, anywhere and in about what we can say either way, if it happens either, either, either way, event. either okay. event. Yes. We also want to talk about a picture that we recently saw with um, our supposed, the one who was supposed to, lawyer who was supposed to represent us or the state of Utah against polygamy, a picture that I found that he is sitting in a meeting with many men from the FLDS community and leaders from the FLDS community. And you can see some of the girls in their prairie dresses behind with serving cups and glasses and mm. they're waiting on these men. And I'm very curious about that picture. I need to find out what that and get in was. touch. What, what is what did he have to on? do with them and are we really being represented because we didn't feel that we were uh -huh. as far as people at least, the state of Utah and the people in Utah, yeah. what were what kind of say did they have That's in court? Certainly interesting. So I'm we're curious about that. We're in in the midst of finding that. And then more than that, 
what we've decided to do is because there's so many other people we don't want to reinvent the well there are many organizations that are working to uh, help people leave there's many organizations like yours and others who are there for people mm -hmm. and we don't necessarily want to take those jobs away or do that we're involved in helping whichever way we can mm -hmm. but we all but we want to be like a the hub and say okay go to this source for this and mm -hmm. you can go here for that you can so go to this website for that it'd be more like a resource center wow that's nice so. okay that's very good um, and I was just going to uh, ask you in the next question about this uh, court case with judge with the judge that sister wives um, actually their attorneys mm -hmm. uh, filed a federal lawsuit to decriminalize polygamy on behalf of the sister wives. So, uh, so now we know that there really isn't anything yet um, that we can grip our teeth into. Not what's that happened. I've heard. And today I got a little bit nervous about it. I got to thinking, we've had laws passed that we don't even know about. I mean, you'll find out later that you can be pulled over and the law changed and I'd say, wait, I read the book in the driver's license that said da-da-da and that law's changed and people aren't aware of the laws that change mm. often. Mm. And in the past I got to thinking, I remember a law that they changed that was actually in fact for, uh, in pro for the Kingston families there that said, well, you can't necessarily go and look at children's lives or go into those homes just because they're polygamous, which in, I believe it should be completely the opposite. Well, if you're breaking, breaking the, law, the law, then let's go see that the right. kids are okay and that they're right. safe and that everything's right. all right. And then if you're nice and your doors are open to us and we can check and see that the kids are fine, then that's... Well. And so, even worse than that, mm -hmm. Kristen, the the um, the uh, primer that the Safety Net Committee has uh, produced, uh, they, they have put in that primer that if a, a child runs away from a polygamy family um, under 18, that the first rule of order is to re to bring them back to the family right and that's a polygamous family they run usually because of abuse or forced marriage yes and yet let's bring them back let's take them back into an illegal situation yes why do they do that and this is another area we'd like to work with and we're trying to do That's with the Sound Choices Coalition area. is laws, laws mm -hmm. that will protect the children mm -hmm. because they don't. They don't. Many times women and have lost their children back and we know we've talked, uh, you've talked to women about that and mm -hmm. I've talked to many women who've lost their children because they have all the money in the world to hire right. a court and they've got lawyers and judges and people on the outside working mm -hmm. everywhere, I mean on the inside working on the outside right. everywhere that are sending children back to abusive families, back to abusive fathers, back to this uh, Ill illegal system that tells them they have to live polygamy or they're yeah. going to be going they're going to hell mm -hmm. and forcing marriages and, forced, and violence yes. and so on yeah and i absolutely. talked with somebody i can't say any names or any group or anything mm -hmm. but somebody had befriended a 16 year old from one of the polygamy groups and she wanted to get out um, and wondered how I could help. And of course, being 16, it's underage. It's a very mm -hmm. sticky situation. I told him what we needed to do if this came about. And um, and he said that this girl decided she wasn't going to leave because they've assigned her a husband who isn't already married. And so there, and he's promised that he will stay true to her. And so she's going to stay and stick it out. Well, oh. we know that it's a polygamy group for heaven's sakes. Yeah. And so they very. can see this is a very tenuous situation where she wants to leave, but they are coercing her, promising her the moon, and and all of that just to keep her mm -hmm. in. And it, and it's going to be. But 
see being 16 our hands are more or less tied we I know there's there's what we I know what we can do to get a 16 year old out which we mm -hmm. can mm -hmm. but it's a different situation than if she was 18 yes for sure definitely and I know of families that uh, or I should say couples that haven't lived plural marriage and that's their choice and they've stayed in but but in many cases I know of plural families where the husband promised he wouldn't do that or even a wife said I don't want to when they go into it mm -hmm. later there's children she can't mm -hmm. leave she has no education yep. and he's like I'm having wives whether you like it or exactly not you can either right. leave but out and leave your kids here or you know mm -hmm. or the other way around I know of women who've divorced husbands who won't live that way because they believe in it mm -hmm. they think that's their salvation that's exactly right that's and the whole so problem it changes with it. That's the sad part is this poor gal, I believe it will change mm -hmm. down the line and by then it may be too late. It may be too late. It's, yeah, it's really sad. Well, that's why we do what we do. Um, on your, in your book, and we're not ready to discuss your book quite yet, but I want to bring up this quote in your book from page 465. I think it's relevant right here and I'm going to quote uh, and it'll be on the screen. You said, how can polygamy be based on equality when it is completely patriarchal? Polygamous parents teach their children it isn't the gospel of plural marriage that's wrong or evil. It is evil people who make it look wrong. Yet in simple terms, polygamy is a human rights violation. It is demeaning and suppressive. It demands that women sacrifice, ignore, and bury their desires, feelings, jealousies, and heartaches, and submit to their husbands, who will determine if they're worthy enough to help populate his world. It requires women to produce numerous children, whether they or their husbands have the capacity to adequately provide for those children's emotional, physical, and spiritual needs. In short, to allow or decriminalize polygamy is to justify psychological torture and modern-day slavery. Now, pro-polygamists claim... I want to go, yes! <laughs> Pro-polygamists claim that decriminalizing polygamy will make abuses in polygamy stop because they claim the secrecy will stop. What's right. wrong with that viewpoint? Well, it's not necessarily been prosecuted for, as we know, for That's 50 right. years, That's 50, right. 60 years, and it's just gotten worse and worse. And we know that we have public families. And I think that it's the secrecy and everything that I just listed there that ho that causes and creates those abuses. It's And so if they're decriminalized, as if, to me, that's like saying that let's decriminalize the mafia and say that they're okay people, they're all wonderful, they're, they're all wonderful nice, families, they're great, yeah. they're great families, and they're all united, and this is what they believe in, let them, leave them alone, and then just hope that they'll come forward and tell us about the crimes and the sure. things that they commit and the things that go on underneath, behind the scenes. Uh -huh. if, let's just decriminalize it so they'll be out in the open and mm -hmm. talk about it. I think it's a farce, I don't believe that for one minute, in fact, as we know, in many societies, in many religions, in many places that are not, people don't talk about the abuses. They don't come forward just because it's that it is legal, that their religion is, or that their culture is, that they can live this life without secrecy. Mm -hmm. They come right out. Are mm -hmm. they going to say, oh, by the way, um, I molested my child, or by the way, so-and-so over there and my sisters. No, they cover it up they still. It Everyone up. everywhere Amen. does. And I don't believe that. And they use the same threats that same you, you've got to live polygamy to go to heaven. That's not going to change. It's keep the secrets in the family. Mm -hmm. It isn't about uh, anymore. In fact, when I was abused, when I was molested, I thought back, even as an adult, I didn't remember this, but I was thinking about it, and I thought, I didn't tell 
because I was worried that they were going to come take my parents away. And here I'd been told that a thousand mm -hmm. more times. Me too. I didn't tell because of that. And I did not tell because I was worried that they would put my parents in jail or me anything. I didn't tell because the perpetrator had threatened me with mm -hmm. my life. Sure. He threatened me with my salvation, with his get demise, that he would get killed or something horrible would happen. I mean, all these other things. It's not... And if the perpetrators are going to do that, they are anyway. They are and anyway. It, and it just keeps on going and going. That's absolutely right. Well, um, you also have an internet radio talk show that yes. deals with this same uh, issue. And you, well, I'll let you tell our viewers um, how they can listen to it. Tell us how, what, the, what you're doing with that. It's live on Wednesdays, on Wednesday mornings at 10 o'clock Mountain Time. We have... Kristen at dot srbroadcasting.com and what we do is we interview just like Doris does but ours is just more blog talk on radio you can get it on internet anytime you can find recorded ones that are archived at the site that's on the screen and we talk and interview people with their stories and about their lives and what anybody would like to share and everyone anyone and everyone who'd like to speak just contact me I'd love to hear from you and then listen to and listen the, yes yeah. they're great we've done 16 so far mm -hmm. and um, they're just really incredible stories people have called and said how much they enjoyed them and how they've cried and of course we get those who say that they aren't honest and no they lied about that I hear that yeah, from all the that's time. just not the truth I have to say that these are their stories and we allow them freedom of speech and the right to share their stories and their mm -hmm. hearts and their mm -hmm. feelings yeah and how can someone mm -hmm. turn around and say they've lied unless they've been there and with them during their experiences mm -hmm. it just yeah. doesn't make any sense okay let's get to your book you have a re-release of your book 50 years in polygamy big secrets of little white lies it's published by synergy books publishing in st george um, and this book, this is a copy of the front cover of your book. It uh, has the same title as your first book, except you have uncensored on it. Why uncensored? It's explicit. Uh, my husband and I felt <coughs> that it was very important <coughs> to tell the truth in explicit details. And the reason is that as people know who write books that authors you want to get the person to feel your heart and to feel your sorrow to feel your pain and to understand it and just to brush over things and say oh by the way I was molested and so was he and so was she and oh yeah I was too you know and, and everybody just kind of brushes that off like oh okay that's the norm that's the way it is my book just it as the one before and previous talks about the heartaches even more so in more detail more words that there may be offensive to people but we felt that it was important to say this is the way this it is, is and this is what happened and this is where we were and this is the words they use and this is the words that you know mm -hmm. and um, so we decided to call it uncensored rather than even unabridged mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it is and even as my husband was editing with me he he's he leans over and he goes is this book uncensored or not and I said well, yeah, it's uncensored. Then why do you keep crossing off all these <laughs> words? And I said to him, is that important to use those words? They'll know what I'm saying anyway. And he said, it's uncensored. It's uncensored. The words are important for the impact. And I said, okay. 
and and I feel that way. I feel very mm -hmm. strongly about mm -hmm. that. Okay. Well, your first book was very good, and Thank and you. I've been able to peruse this one just a tad. But where can they uh, contact you to get the book? And it, it's released the it was released in December, right? It is. Yeah, we'll have books that you can find on my website from kristendecker.com and I will personalize them if you want to order from that site. You can get them unpersonalized either way. Mm -hmm. You can find them at Barnes and Noble and Amazon. Okay. And from me, if you can find me, I'd love to sign books. I'd love to speak with people and oh, do that personally. Great. So. Awesome. Okay. Thanks. Now, I, we have a picture of your the back cover of the book as well. Uh, and I wanted to read what the back part of what the back cover said. Uh, and it says, Kristen Decker, the daughter of a polygamous prophet, reveals a rare, uncensored, first-hand account of the inner workings of a Utah-based polygamous sect whose members today include high-profile reality television stars, of course that's the sister wives plus others. Mm -hmm. Her gripping narrative describes the rampant anguish and abuse behind the happy faces that polygamist women present in public. Fifty years in polygamy, Kristen's inspiring journey challenges the common misconception that polygamy is simply a harmless lifestyle choice. For many, it is more like modern-day slavery, she says. So, we are going to talk, you know, uh, not just haphazardly about these things, but you've been there. And you've done that. You've got the T-shirt. You've got the the stories and the mm -hmm. the memories. These bad memories right. of what actually got on the scars, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So we can talk to you firsthand and know that what you said there is actually true because you experienced them. It wasn't just my life. It was all around me. All around you. All around me. The heartache, the sadness, and I, in. I hear that to this day from women who do leave, who dare speak out, and who finally can talk to somebody about how sad they were, about how pressed they were, how hard, how they had to raise their children this way, and in poverty, or in uh, seeing their husbands once in a great while. And I had many people say, oh, your story is just that fits anybody. I mean, your story is more like a mistress, like your husband had this mistress, and he wasn't <laughs> religious, and he, you know, da, da. and I said, you forget that the doctrine was what held me there. Uh -huh. It was that I had to do these things. I could not leave. I couldn't take my kids. I couldn't go whenever I wanted to whoever and be saved. I was going to go to hell if I did that. Right. So just because he only had two wives, to me it felt like consistently a mistress that I, but I go wait wait this is God's rules I have to do this I mm -hmm. have to allow this and it was and I believe she felt the same way I think it was very difficult for her too and I believe sure. and I know that women that leave no matter how many wives there are it's the doctrine that says it, you will be damned if you do not live polygamy and if you don't let your husband have other wives if you don't encourage him to have other wives if you are not part of that wholeheartedly and put that smile on your face mm -hmm. and be happy about it and you can't yeah. be jealous you can't be mad and you shouldn't yeah. be all they should should shouldn't yeah, right mm -hmm. so well the yes, invisible chains people might say uh, and we talked about this with Mary Mackert one time on this show people say well why don't you get up and just walk away oh, well okay. it's invisible chains that we talked about mm -hmm. you're not in chains you, you're not you know you're not mm -hmm. tied to, to stay well in some cases they're literally are tied to stay I've talked with people but they're invisible chains as well that mm -hmm. holds you there and that's the the doctrine 
And I've recently spoken to several elderly women, I, sh <coughs> I sh maybe shouldn't say elderly, but can I, s I can say that about me, and they're close to my age, who've been through hellacious lives and trying to leave and trying to get their children, and they've been so, so treated so badly, yes. even from the All Red group their children taken away from them or they have been so much lied about mm -hmm. that everybody their children even bought into that their dads who would say oh they were bad they were wicked they did this they did that they didn't you know and and then they try to leave and the law hasn't protected them yeah. again we like we talked about earlier women can't just walk out That's always right. I was one of the luckier ones who was able to, over a process of time, go to school and get my education because I had help. Mm -hmm. I had counseling and therapy and help, and I don't know what I'd have done without that. Mm -hmm. My heart goes out to people who are literally in and then just thrown out, like from the FLDS community. Uh, yes. So they're, they are, women are stuck. What else will I do? I remember saying, who's going to ever take care of me and six, seven kids, yeah. whatever I had left at home, five. Mm -hmm. Who would ever love me? Who would mm -hmm. ever, I mean, I didn't even have an identity for yeah. heaven's sake. So who would, yeah. yeah. yeah it, so there's many that. chains, yeah. Yeah. money, financial, mental, all kinds of things, that bondage, that hold people there, women there. There is, yeah, mm -hmm. there certainly is. Yeah. Well, let's do a quick review for our viewers, maybe to refresh their memories of the first time that we were talking about your book, and maybe for new viewers, uh, just a very quickly about your background. You were born and raised in the All Red Polygamy Group. Right. Your father was a leader mm -hmm. in the group? My father was Owen All Red. He passed away in 2005 and his brother Rulin All Red was the one who was shot and killed and murdered mm -hmm. in his office in Murray mm -hmm. from the LeBaron Families right. Committee there. And so when he died, then my dad took his place as the leader, and he was the leader for 28 years before he passed away. And that's quite and a pressure to be the daughter of a leader in was, a polygamy group. Right. Yeah. And it was before because of being the all-red kid, you know, yeah. that all-red <laughs> name, and you're supposed to be a better example, and you have to do this, and you have to, so yeah, there was the pressure. stress worse, yeah. Besides that, we were better than everybody else, you know. <laughs> How many wives did and your father so have? He had 13 that I know of. 13 wives? That, and I say, I found out there's been others that oh. have, were sealed to him that I don't know that he actually lived with or went to see. But I did find out there were two more. Whoa. And so there might be more Whoa. even that I don't so, know about. So you, what about siblings? How many do you have total? My dad had 23 biological children and helped raise. He married women that had children already, and uh -huh. so he helped as much as he could yeah. with those kids. Some of them were adults already by the time they came in. And he may have and other so children oh, if he, he has had secret wives that you didn't know about. He has many children that adopted him or that he adopted in that religion. They, they're sealed, you know, done mm -hmm. the traditional covenants to seal as a son and father, and I want you yeah. to be my father in the hereafter. Right. So okay. many, many. I would say at least 46 mm. that were that he helped that came with the mothers and then many beyond that I'm guessing mm -hmm. so it comes from a big family on page mm -hmm. of course all polygamous families are big that's mm -hmm. why the polygamy is so dangerous because it mushrooms and, and they are mm -hmm. having huge families they pretty mm -hmm. soon may have some very strong voting blocks in our oh, society. Yeah. They already do in some areas. From page 10 of your book, it sounds like your family has roots in the FLDS, in the Short Creek Group, which uh, or which is the Short Creek Group, they've just changed the name, in the LeBaron Group as well as the AUB. Explain the roots in all three of these, and maybe even more. I think that I have relatives pretty much <laughs> in all the groups. everywhere, and the reason being is that from my upbringing and understanding that 
all of the polygamous people after the manifesto kind of hung out together. Mm -hmm. They gathered and called themselves circle of friends or brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so and they gathered in different homes all over. I mean clear up to Cache Valley and down mm -hmm. southern Utah and everywhere they could gather and meet. And so uh, they seemed to be one big huge group and they followed Joseph Musser for a long time. Yeah. And then there started becoming all these factions. Well, the biggest group, this broke into two major factions, which was the All Red Group, the AUB, mm -hmm. and the FLDS group, the Short Crit Group. And when that happened, I had a grandfather there, a sister, the one that had married, been married off at 13 years old in that group. And there was, uh, after I got married, there's that families on that side of the family down there. There's an aunt who, my mother's full sister, who married a steed man. So I had, I have hundreds <laughs> of cousins in the FLDS, just yeah, hundreds. Well, and we, yeah, I can't get anybody yeah. to really help me count them. Because, <laughs> but I know that I'm not exaggerating because they know that too. And then of course all the relatives in the All Red group and then those that have splintered off in other factions and other groups. So they're everywhere. And I don't even know my mother's family, my mm -hmm. her side. Yeah. Uh, on her maiden name and I would love to find That's some of them but I go I don't know when I'd have time yeah, but I yeah, would think that'd be awesome start? to do. How do you yeah. start? Mm -hmm. And that's the way it is with polygamy again and, and it's uh, it all stemmed from the Joseph Smith right. polygamy back in yeah, Too many people. <laughs> on page 19 explains that there was a split in the polygamy groups uh, which is what we're talking about but you said and I quote no matter whom we followed who we were or where we stood, everyone claimed to have the real truth. So this group is true, this group is true, the Mormon church is true, the Kingston group is true, each, each troop is, the, is right. the only true one. So, I, you know, question to our viewers, question to you and everyone else, if they all claim to be the only true group, <laughs> how does anyone know for sure which one really is the true, or maybe none of them are true? Right. That was, I always thought that as growing up. I was like, wait, no, wait, no, you're not. My cousins <laughs> say, yeah, we're the true ones, yeah. the ones in the FL. They say, wait, no, we were, we are. Yeah, <laughs> you know, how can we you were, we are. Hey, we were. And, and, and I wrote about that in my book. <laughs> I wrote about a visit that I had with my cousins down there and <laughs> left with my heart breaking because it was like, how can they say they are and how can I say I am? And I didn't want to believe that even I was any more than they were. Sure. That we're you know related and we love each other and how can we let this tear us apart and this is the thing that I feel about these religions and these groups that people that severs people I don't think it brings people close and families close like they should be well that certainly isn't the way God works it God doesn't do that's it. not he an intention work that yeah. all. He <coughs> the relationship so. that's important is the one with Jesus I know I was thinking this is going it. to come between us <coughs> and it's not okay and it has done mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. on chapter 4 the drill we did talk about this a, a little bit um, in our last book review of your last book but let's talk about a little bit more you talked about the how the parents would get the children together and drill them about lying for the Lord you know lying for the group um, uh, or how you know so that that it would protect their family and it would protect the polygamy group from their illegal activities for, mm -hmm. so that the the police or whomever the authorities would not be able to go through get to the parents through the children um, what kinds of threats did you receive if you told and you covered some of that already but how did it affect you when you were told these things even as a child what did that do to your child mind these I threats? was very afraid I grew up in fear I was afraid of God 
I was afraid of the devil. I was afraid of government. I was afraid of my family. I was afraid of everyone. Mm -hmm. and, and everybody held something over me. Yeah. Always I felt like I was under this big cloud of darkness, yeah. the fear. And I feel that that controlled me, that there, I was being controlled by the fear all around me, mm -hmm. that I could do, if you do this, then you're going to have this happen and if you go there if you go to friends houses then they're gonna get you to join them and leave the group and that's gonna happen and if you go here if you stay home you're gonna be molested and if you go here you know but they but do what you, I say do what I say do what I say or and mm -hmm. uh, if you if you don't do what I say do what God says which is you know the way I was raised that God mm -hmm. who doesn't exist in my life then um, there will be consequences you'll yeah. be damned to hell and so my fear affected my schooling, my education, my mm -hmm. lack of communication with other people. I didn't know who I could or couldn't trust. I didn't have friends that were consistently there. And again, I want to go back, clear back to the beginning of the raid, uh, that they call the raid, that I wish so much that everybody would call the rescue. Because yeah. I really yeah. believe that Governor Pyle did everything within his ability to rescue yes. children and women. Mm -hmm. And it really bothers me, even in the Texas, that people call it a raid. It, it didn't start as a raid, and it wasn't a raid. And they, the media made it look like... Right. And even the P FLDS people lied about the way that they were treated, which people were there and witnessed and did not happen. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a raid. And so people use this as control over the religion and, and the outside and part of the families don't want it decriminalized because they can still use that yeah, control and that sure, fear. Sure. And so, gosh, there's so much that could be said about that. But basically, the people on the outside wanted to protect the children and wanted to save them and it didn't work and well. It exactly just didn't and it didn't work again mm -hmm. before in Texas. It didn't work. Where are those children that if they, they sent back? If they had followed through, Where, it would have worked. That's right. It if they'd have followed through, mm -hmm. it would have helped stop and end things. So I I don't like that people use I, I mean I have this mixed feeling because I grew up in that fear mm -hmm. and people say well then let's just decriminalize it then there's no more fear there's no more fear Wrong. that's yeah that's where I get very frustrated about it is that I believe they they shouldn't live in fear right now who's done who's going after these people and who's putting yeah. them away and if they don't have anything to hide then why are they not just living openly right now and if they and those that stand up proud, in fact, I know a family all my life who stood out and they said, "Yeah, I'm a polygamist. I do this and I do that." Yeah. Well, nobody treated them poorly because of that. In fact, they treated them better because they stood out and said, yeah. "I'm a polygamist." Yeah. So I'm just saying that decriminalizing is, to me, it's a hold that using of fear over and over and over, yeah. and that uh, we we need. I'm kind of going around in circles, <laughs> I think, messing well, you know, up when, with myself. When we talk, yeah. we're talking about the fear, people will ask me, oh, you must have been so brave to have run. So I mm -hmm. ran away when I was mm -hmm. 18. And even though I was of legal age, I had to run. I, yeah. I had to run You away. had to. But, mm -hmm. and, and my answer is, I wasn't brave. I was desperate. I was tired of living in fear every day of my life. I was tired of the fear. I just, mm -hmm. and it's awful to live in fear every day. I remember growing up. Uh, coming home from school, I hated to come home from school because I would be home where, where things were awful. And I would wish that somebody would kidnap me and take me away. I, was, I wished that. I did too. Every As a day. teen, I wished that somebody would come and rescue yeah, us and take yeah. us away so that I wouldn't be held accountable to God for leaving. <laughs> 
I, know, I never I, thought of that. I, I just wanted out of my misery. I, if they'll just come and, t and do this raid that Dad keeps threatening us with. Yeah. But the bottom line is the fear comes from God, the, that God, you know, that the God that we were false great. God, yeah. And there's no reason for that. Mm -mm. That's what I want to say. So decriminalizing polygamy is just, it's started and grown within the own cultures. Mm -hmm. it, it's mm -hmm. not necessarily out there. There might and be a few cases that they maybe did need to fear, but I would say most of it was well, truly it was genuine illegal. people, and I found illegal. that people on the outside love and honor and respect me yeah. by far more than I felt ever felt inside. And, and uh, in, mm -hmm. in a little bit of defense here, which I don't need to defend God, but I'm going to right now, in the Bible it says God is love, mm -hmm. and perfect yeah. love drives out fear. Because wow. fear has to do with judgment. Mm -hmm. So God is love and he drives out fear. Any, any religion that, that brings fear onto its members is a bad religion. Because we, aren't, we don't fear. If we're in, in God's truth, we don't have anything to fear. I believe God is absolutely, that's, that's my that's belief about God, is God is love He's and love, love is God. And perfect and, love mm -hmm. drives out fear. Yes. So, well, let's get to chapter 19. Um, in, and it's entitled, Evil Ervil. <laughs> Ervil LeBaron. He was the brother of Joel LeBaron, who was the leader of the Mexican um, LeBaron polygamy group. And he, of course, began, I don't know how many people are familiar with the story, but he began wreaking havoc among all of the polygamy groups because he wanted to be the leader of all of the polygamists. Um, tell us what happened when he came to Rulin and asked him or told him that his people should be paying tithes to him rather than to the uh, Alred group. I, the way I understand it, the LeBarons were also part of the original polygamous people way mm -hmm, back when, mm -hmm, I mean, yeah. after the manifesto. Yeah, they were back then. And Ben and <coughs> was one of the big brothers who claimed to be the one mighty and strong, and he was insane and had gone and done push-ups in the middle of the street and stopped traffic in Salt Lake saying, "How many? watch how many push-ups I can do. I'm the one mighty and strong, yeah. which is insanity and crazy, and they had to haul him off. and. So the insanity ran there, but it just carried on, and there were several cases that were so severe, and people were worried about that consistently. But what happened is that Ervil had decided he was taking over Joel's place, and he was the one who had the authority. And there's many, as we know, many demigods who want and claim this authority. Well, he was one of those who wrote his own little pamphlets and kind of a crazy man who wrote things that didn't even really make sense, anything I would try to make. And he sent these out to everybody, and he said, uh, uh, the blood atonement, God said, I can take your lives if you don't do this and this and this. And I remember being at a meeting one time where my uncle Rulin said, okay, I got a threat, and I'm supposed to make all of you pay tithing to Herbal LeBaron. And, and of course, and he said it jokingly, you can choose whether you want to do that or not. And everybody laughed. And he said, and you can follow him if you want to. And everybody laughed. And he said, but basically, if we don't, then we're all going to be blood atoned, and especially me, because I'm the leader, and I'm supposed mm -hmm. to force you to do that. And he didn't worry about it, but it did happen. Mm -hmm. He This went on. They, <coughs> he sent letters, Herbal sent letters to not only my father, as the second counselor at that time, the first counselor, actually, Uncle Rule and then my father and to the LDS church leaders and to the president and tried to get all these threats to everybody. So he really was crazy yeah, like he was. Warren Jeff has done he, recently sending things he out. He brought and fear, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, let's go to chapter 25 in the Temple Ordinances and Blessings. And this may surprise some of our viewers that, that some of the polygamists actually do temple ordinances and, mm -hmm. and uh, different things. But I'm going to quote very quickly from page 222. It says, After LDS Church officials stated all worthy men of African descent could hold the priesthood and partake of the blessings, many all Redites felt LDS officials had allowed the desecration of the temples. Now, you did have, you didn't have a temple that looked like their downtown temple by right. any means, but you did have a temple place, ordinances and the rituals that took place with ceilings, families and marriages and so on uh, that were invented by Joseph Smith. Now, uh, explain how the AUB temple rituals caused shock and shame with the women uh, as they went through the washings and anointings. Explain what happened, and did this happen to you as well? I <coughs> never was part of the temple ordinances. I didn't qualify, you know, to be there, which amazes me. I was one of the best <laughs> people there. <laughs> I'm kind of kidding about it. But um, it, it was based on my you know, husband and what he would do, because remember, he's the one who's going to get me to heaven. Mm -hmm, and so right. if he's not doing what he's supposed to do, then I'm certainly then don't get to. And I had all these mixed feelings about whether I wanted him or not anyway, yeah. you know, because everybody else is getting him, I should get him, and that kind of pressure thing that people have, the ordinances. But basically what I did have, and I wrote about in my book, was the washing anointings. And I didn't, I, again, I'm very young mom and don't know what I'm asking for and don't, I just think, well, they have that blessing, I should have that blessing in, in believing in this belief system and asked for washings and anointings and and was asked to undress and felt very uncomfortable and then explicitly you know where they're touching my body and this was my mother and an aunt who I loved dearly but I felt very uncomfortable about it and it just I kept thinking what is this and why is this important and this just feels like I mean I don't get it why it, it, what's this ordinance that's supposed to be worthy and righteous. And then guess what? I felt like I'm the bad person, and I always did. Whenever I questioned, if you're not supposed to question either because, and you're not supposed to say you're jealous, and you're not supposed to say you're right. mad because something's defective about me if mm -hmm. I do that. Mm -hmm. And I th and then I'd read more books or other people had felt that way. I've read letters that women have written, and I found a couple letters that I can't say where the others had written that said they felt the very same mm -hmm. feelings. And then I read the agnostic written by, and I, can't remember his name right now. And he talked about leaving the LDS Church and about how he always felt like something was, he just didn't feel this spirit of God that everybody else felt, but he was supposed to, so he covered it up. And I went, mm -hmm. oh, that, that was kind of me. Like yeah. I think that yeah. I just kept pretending through my life so I could, and, and thinking something was wrong with me, even about perpetrators. Yeah. It's like, why do I know they're bad? Nobody else does, something's wrong with me. Uh -huh. I feel bad. I, I don't trust that guy, but everybody else apparently, I mean, he's up there on the stand preaching, so, yeah, and right, I was told, right. something's wrong, you need to fast and pray. Yeah. Something's wrong with it's you because something you don't with trust, you, because something's wrong with me. No, not the religion, mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Chapter 32, you talked about demoted to nothingness. Mm. And of course, this is, is typical uh, for women in a polygamy group, to be nothing and feel, no feel nothing most of your life. Um, and I'm going to quote um, from page 287. The problem was my identity and value were based on my service and the recognition I received because of it. If they'd known I had no value and no worth, they wouldn't have trusted me in the first place. The tiny significance I dared think or hope I possessed, Mary had just assured me was a lie. In one day, I was demoted 
to nothingness. Why is it that the value of women in polygamy is nothing? Wow, Doris, that's actually making, bringing up emotions. Mm -hmm. It surprises me always when I get emotional because I think I'm all done yeah. with everything. Yeah. And There's deep hurts. I just turned 61 and I find out that a lot of the PTSD is still there, the, mm -hmm. the heartache, the sorrows, the memories. And I was, you know, servitude. I did everything I was told to do. I did everything um, that I thought God wanted me to and that my dad told me to and that my mother told me to and that everybody told me to in servitude. And, when, and so I was so busy serving that outside of me, that was my identity. That was literally it. And I'd go home to messy house and to my kids who I couldn't keep up with and to my family and my husband who I felt was always absent and to trying to do and be this person that I didn't feel I was in reality. Mm -hmm. Because at home, who was I? Yeah. I? I didn't know anything about me that I should love or not love or or who who in the world is Kristen? Yeah. You know, in the book, <laughs> Sophia, who am I? And so then all of a sudden I was depressed as heck. Not suddenly, it came on and it would go and it come until it finally stayed and I was suicidally depressed. Mm -hmm. And I was going to bed and wanted to die because I thought that's the only righteous way you can get out. And I've talked to many, many women who've said that too. Uh -huh. They either need their husbands to die or they've got to die to get out of this. And it was, I thought I have to die to get out of this. Mm -hmm. and, but I needed my children and that, that's what kept me there. But the demoted is that as soon as I made a mistake, she treated me like garbage. That was it. Mm -hmm. That was it. As soon as I didn't show up and do what I thought she thought I should do. And she missed the whole point. It was like, yeah. where was her head that she couldn't see that I needed that love and attention and help? Yeah, she wasn't there. Matter. It was. And it didn't matter. In your I wasn't. It was in I the performance. That, right. Exactly. Um, we're, we're, we're quickly running wow. out of time here, and, it's, mm -hmm. and there's so much to cover. But I do want to cover this very quickly on Chapter 37, Religious Perpetrators. Um, there were some abusers, some very, uh, very cruel abusers in every polygamy group, but in particular this chapter, you're talking about how uh, religious perpetrators, in the name of religion, in the name of God, will attack and abuse people in their own family, threaten yeah. and rape them. I'm going to quote from page 340. Um, where it says, Greg, Gregory Man Maynard had committed and allowed horrendous acts against women and children. We were haunted and sickened by such despicable and criminal behaviors and wondered why Maynard had been able to be an abuser for so long. Now, the other man on the priesthood council, whom I had despised my entire life, John Thomas, was also accused of vicious and terrible acts. The story going around was that he had raped and molested some of his own children, as well as many others outside his family over the last 20 plus years. And your question, I'm going to quickly go to, uh, to the further in the quote uh, on page 342, where it says, why God would ever call vile abusers to be his chosen people's leaders. The council members upheld, defended, sustained, and harbored these two evil men. And believe me, there are still more evil perverts in the group yet to be discovered. So quickly, they were abusing not just family members, but others. Others. And got caught. Right. Yes. They, and there was even another man after these men got caught that was in the council and he was also another man that I didn't trust and that I wouldn't go by and would I at church I'd go clear around him and every now and then 
And the thing that's funny about that, I was just sharing this with somebody else, is that he knew that I knew. Just like it was weird. It was like these people, these two men that I always, from the time I was tiny, who mm -hmm. I couldn't stand and didn't like. And I went around this other guy and be within, I mean, I'd go clear around him and he would kind of do the no look in the eye and yet he would talk to everybody else. And I could have believed back then that it was me, that I was yeah. evil, but by then I knew yeah. that it wasn't yeah. me. Yeah. I knew that my judgment about him wasn't, and he, it came out that he had been sleeping with his own daughters, uh, wanted, he had married other women and wanted to sleep with their daughters, and one of those women, young women, caught him and found out about it, and thank goodness she reported it mm -hmm. to the law. And, and mm -hmm. so, so what you're thinking there was that, um, uh, if God is in charge of polygamy, why would He bring these men to leadership? If He was in charge, why would it If these were really happen? prophets, why yeah. did they not know this yeah. in the first place? Especially getting supposed revelation that these men should be called to the council, the two that we were discussing. Yeah. We so. only have a couple of minutes left. Um, in chapter 42, you talk about your mother's death. As children growing up in polygamy, of course, we experience basically the same do's and don'ts and threats of law keeping and so on. Mm. What, and we were threatened not to talk. What would your mother say right now about the work that you're doing? My mother's it's proud of polygamy. me. <laughs> I, I know that she is. I really believe that with all my heart and soul. She's not ashamed of me. She's not worried about me and my life and my salvation or whatever she wants to still call it or not. She's very proud of me. And I believe that with all my heart, and that's what carries me forth mm -hmm. every day. That when I want to quit and give up, and she's she, you know, she's wishing somebody would have been there more for her and yeah, us. Yeah, and, me. and that's the thing. And that's, that's the thing. Just it. Mm -hmm. um, you talked. I don't know how quickly you can answer this one, but I, I'd like to hear your answer if you can do it in a minute. You talked about the AUB being a Gestapo. Would you explain that? There are people that inside that cover up. And we've known that from people who've left, and even me, who've covered up lies over and over and over. They've protected people and abusers for years and years. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a chapter about a young man who was yes, beat up and left good for dead. Oh, that's a heartbreaking. It is, yeah. And and this is still going on, if not more than it was before, as far as people are saying there's more liberal, and there is, there's, in one sense, more liber liberty in the groups than there was before, but on the other sounds, if, if you've done something wrong and you need to cover it, that's it. Yeah. They'll cover it. Yeah, and they will. And, but mm -hmm. then, and that's the secrecy part, mm -hmm. the dangerous part. Well, Kristen, we're running mm -hmm. out of time already. I want to thank you for coming back You're and so for welcome. sharing more of your story. And go out and buy her book. Um, it's, you'll, you'll be appalled and it'll hold your interest as well. You know, in an article uh, I recently read, the country of Armenia, despite bad demographic indicators, people leaving their country, infertility, divorce, Armenia has flatly refused to legalize polygamy. You know, suggestions were made that Armenia should legalize polygamy to help deal with these challenges. Well, listen to their response. Quote, Armenia has maintained and crafted its national character. Legalizing polygamy in Armenia would cause chaos in the country, end quote. Well, they believe instead that their focus should be put on creating a strong family foundation rather than fragmenting the 
the Family Foundation with polygamy. They further determined that adopting the model of another culture would cause a ridiculous situation and an uncalled for in the Armenian society. Polygamy, they say, is not close to the psychology of Armenian women. They would not accept it. Well, we say three cheers for Armenia and the Armenian women. If the women in polygamy in America would just say no, the slavery of polygamy in America would end. So when will we be able to say the same three cheers for the women in Utah who should stand up for themselves and say no? You know, down through the decades, there's been streams of broken lives that litter the paths of time since Joseph Smith first introduced polygamy into the Mormon culture. How many more lives are going to be sacrificed to this disgusting god of polygamy who demands the pain and the abuse, the sexual predatory behaviors of polygamous men on innocent victims? How grateful I am that I have been able to discard the myth of polygamy and the polygamous god and embrace the biblical Jesus who is himself the god of love. He said that he came to set the captives free, that when we follow him we shall know the truth and be set free, free of false doctrine, free of slavery and false religion. We encourage you to go buy Kristen's book, 50 Years in Polygamy, Big Secrets and Little White Lies, uncensored, and learn what people down the street or around the corner are going through that might be polygamous and you may not be aware of it because there are people everywhere who are in polygamy. And it continues to encroach like we talked about. It is mushrooming. You don't know who they are and you don't know what abuses they're going to and who needs the love you can give them. It continues to be that way. We need to see polygamy for what it is. Get involved however you can. And in the love of Jesus, uh, who is love and died for us, we all need to do everything that we can to stop polygamy. want to thank you for watching and we'll see you next week. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of the Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.